Thessalonians chapter 3, while I am in the pulpit here making a way for Mr. Suarez. Mr. Swartz, thank you. All right, First Thessalonians <clears throat> chapter 3, verse 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. But now, when Timotheus came from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord." For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith? Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts, unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, with all his saints. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. The events described in this chapter can be elucidated by comparing what is written in Acts chapter 17, uh, some of which we heard earlier described in the reading of chapter 2. Uh, As a recap, Paul and his company are sent away from Thessalonica by the church due to the increasing pressures of persecution by the Jews. From Thessalonica, they end up in Berea. After spending some time there, successfully ministering and gaining influence, the persecuting Jews from Thessalonica catch wind of it and come looking for him in Berea as well. As a result of these persecuting schemes coming his way, and yet the strong desire to return to Thessalonica. It is determined that it's best for Paul to be sent off alone to Athens and Timothy be directed back to to the Thessalonian church. Notice, firstly, Timothy is sent. Timothy, not the least of them, but verse 2, our brother, a minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. Paul's right-hand man, as it were, right? My own son in the faith, as he says in his letter to him in chapter 1. In Paul's example, we see the care that a minister of Christ should have for the good and service of Christ's flock. Paul, as a minister and apostle of Christ, would give up and deny himself for a time the benefit 
right, of having Timothy's labor beside him in Athens so that the church in Thessalonica could receive that aid and assistance during that time. Now, Paul and his company were concerned to see the Thessalonian church established and comforted that none should be moved, as he says in verse 3, by these afflictions. That is, the afflictions of persecution. Afflictions, perhaps, that may have caused some to be startled and uncertain as to whether the course they had begun with Christ was really worth it. Timothy is sent and that he might far, further minister to them in person, intimately, acquaint himself with what is lacking among them, better position them, right, and order things uh, so that they can stand strong when he's no longer with them, that they might stand prepared and ready to bear the heat of affliction and persecution, even if increased to what already it is. And from this, we may observe the importance of all in authority to prepare those that are under their care for difficult times ahead, to be able to stand strong right, upon what they've been taught, both not only in word, but as we see so much in the Apostles' writing, but by example as well. And there is a lesson here also for those under the care of authorities, that they may readily receive what is good, right? what they're being taught and by example from their superiors, that they may all the more prepare for the days ahead, Right? even as the Thessalonian church was directed to. For verse, verse 3, For yourselves know that we are appointed thereto. Appointed to what? Appointed to affliction. The Thessalonian church was appointed to affliction. The Christian church is appointed to affliction. The Christian right, must first wear the cross before he wears the crown of glory. And that not by accident, Right? or poor coincidence, or pagan luck, right? but by appointment, divine appointment. The way of life is a way strewn with divinely appointed affliction. If any man will come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This cross, the troubles that arise in walking the Christian life following after Jesus, it has been appointed, purposed, sanctified to and for the Christian's good. For as Paul will say elsewhere to Timothy, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. And if this be true congregation, let us not tremble at affliction and suffering or fall back because of it. For verse 4, he says, Verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation. They were warned ahead of time that tribulation should come, even as it did. And brothers and sisters, children, tribulation is going to come sooner or later. Affliction and trouble. It may be in the form of open and hostile persecution, or in some other not-so-hostile way. It may be silent, or it may be even gradual. But understand now that trouble and difficulty will come as appointed for the Lord's saints in his service, to sanctify them, to bring them along towards the, the end, right, to glory. And so given the certainty of it, it is required of us, even as it was of the Thessalonian church when Paul and his company warned them to prepare for tribulation. We must be prepared for tribulation to come. How do we prepare? Well, one way is shown here is by informing the mind and affections beforehand that trouble should come, 
so as to deaden the sort of shock value, right, the surprise when it arrives. Paul says, we told you beforehand, and like Paul, the Apostle Peter will say in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Let us resolve in our mind now, right, perhaps in times of greater peace, to follow Christ in suffering, to resolve ourselves in submission to the Lord's hand in foreseeing grief and trouble, to know what our duty will be in times of difficulty, to know where we will run to and do, to have our affections and our uh, right for present comforts curbed. And in proportion, before tribulation should come, and lest, right, when it comes, it sort of rips it out and tears it from a, a hand that's untempered, right, an uncareful mind. Grace, as Matthew Henry would say, teaches us in the midst of life's greatest comforts to be willing to die, and in the midst of its greatest crosses to be willing to live. These things said, it is perhaps then that the Apostle Paul and his company, out of concern that the Thessalonian church may have not been prepared for this so soon rise in persecution, they send Timothy, lest, right, they wait too long to bring encouragement and direction, lest temptation should gain a victory over them amid their trouble, and all that they had labored for among them be lost that it be found that their former labor be in vain, as he says in verse 5. From this we learn that spiritual labor in this life is not a one-and-done sort of thing, right? It's ongoing until the finish line is reached. This is one of the reasons why there is a regular ministry appointed by Christ in the church. You may have sat under the ministry of the Apostle Paul himself a month ago, right? But you still need ongoing ministry and ordinances today. Tomorrow, next week, the people of God as the Thessalonian church are subject to various changes and need a continual supply of the unchanging word. And all of God's appointed ordinances, right, for their good and growth to get them to the end. They need spiritual care and oversight. And this care and oversight, as we see in this example, must be keen, perceptive, right, and timely to apply spiritual remedies in due time before those perceived infirmities among them, among the people, become something worse and their previous labors be said to have been in vain. From there, we are informed then in verse 6 that when Timothy returned from the Thessalonians, he brought with him good news. Right? Good news that the church's spiritual condition was not as bad as they thought it would be. They learn of their faith and charity. The entire sum of true piety, as Calvin would call it. They held strong in the teachings and doctrines of the apostles. And love being the instrument of faith, it was working itself out, right? In demonstration for God, for Christ, for all his ordinances, for his people, for, and so on. We read that they had good remembrance of the apostolic company and desired greatly to see them. They were not forgetful hearers or those who so quickly become infatuated with new teachers or the passing scene of events. But they carried the apostolic teaching, persons and example in mind often, desiring greatly to see them again. Brothers and sisters, do you bear in mind often those who taught you the scriptures, both in word and deed? 
Is there example before your mind often? Are there persons as instruments in the hand of God dear in your affections? And do you, you know, reflect back on those godly bygone times, right, of those godly exchanges and interactions that you had to encourage you and assist you on in your faith? Upon hearing then of the great affection and mind which the Thessalonian church had towards him, his co-laborers, and the apostolic teaching, the Apostle Paul in verse 7 says they find comfort and joy. He finds comfort and joy, even, quote, in all our affliction and distress by your faith. The report of the condition of the Thessalonians is a cause for uplifting and comfort to the Apostle amid their own troubles and affliction. And in this is a twofold lesson for us, right? That in our troubles, we ought to carry somewhat of a public spirit, if we may call it that. That is, that we can rejoice and be comforted amid our own troubles because the spiritual condition, right, of others advances. That our personal tribulation does not so engulf our vision that we cannot see anything beyond our own hand, right? But we can celebrate and rejoice and be encouraged in our own walk when we see others thriving spiritually. And furthermore, we see that how we carry our burdens when we are suffering can encourage or discourage. We are members one of another, brothers and sisters. Let all things be done unto edifying, even how we suffer. Verse 11, the Apostle Paul appears to be reaching the conclusion of the section in this letter. He offers a closing prayer and benediction. The contents of that prayer and benediction involve, firstly, a request that the Lord would grant them time in their presence again in the future. That the Lord himself would make straight their course to them, removing every obstacle. And this Paul acknowledges that their purposes to see the Thessalonians again is entirely dependent upon the Lord's hand in making that way open. The contents of this benediction also involves in verse 12 that the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men. First, increase in love toward one another. Right? We must first learn to love according to God's commandment in thought, word, and deed to those that are nearer to us. Right, In our vicinity, before we can imagine that we love some indefinite people of God out there somewhere. But that's not to say that our love should be hyper-local, right? On the contrary, the request here is that their love would abound and increase, not only for those perhaps that are in their congregation or even presbytery, but toward all. And this toward all, right, can be considered with the analogy of Scripture, toward all of God's people. We should bear, right, a kind affection towards all of God's people, whomsoever they be, and or wheresoever they be, in judgment of charity, confessing the same God, the same Lord, the same Spirit, the same faith, the same love, and so on. But this can also be considered as abounding in love toward all men, right, indiscriminately. That is, as Paul will say in Romans 13, 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. The model then for this love is provided in the example of the apostolic company to abound and increase in love, even as we do toward you, they say. All this in verse 13, to the end of being established unblameable in holiness. Before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Notice 
the intricate tie of love to holiness. Holiness without love is suspect, right? It's suspect of being blamable, shaky, unstable, even hypocritical. But the increase and abounding of love toward God, one another, and all men serves towards the end which we strive for. And what is that? The establishing of our hearts unblameable and holiness before God, a goal which has its full conclusion and end at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And that concludes our time together with 1 Thessalonians chapter 3.